Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. There it is. Oh man, another episode. We, uh, I just, I am full of excitement. I can't wait to get started. I can't wait to introduce you all to today's guest. She is a marketer and a magnetic leader, data-minded strategist. No, not just pulling strategy out of the sky like a cloud. We're thinking about the data, making sure it makes sense. It, it proves itself with the right results. Um, over 10 years of experience and across mar- multiple different marketing f- fields and areas, marketing automation, demand gen, digital marketing, content marketing, you name it, she's done it. Head of demand gen and growth at Aprimo, Dina Otero, welcome to the show. Thanks, Casey. Excited to be here. Yeah. There's so much to talk about here today. Um, I know you've been just gathering up those leads and just making things happen wherever you go. And so I'm just going to stop talking, but I'm going to pass you something real quick. And it's it's heavy, but I know you got this. Ugh. Okay. So here we go. You want to grab that? Can you, yes. All right. You got it? Yes. All right. Thor's hammer. All right. all right. So take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. Oh my gosh. All right. So many myths to bust. I've actually got three in one for you, Casey, today. Three. Three. Oh boy. So first one, marketing is not an arts and crafts department. I mean, and I think it falls into the bigger problem as to that's the misconception, which is why a lot of people believe that marketing doesn't deserve a spot at the table. Myth number two. And, yes. and that's because they really only think that we're serving sales when in reality, it's a company initiative. It affects customer experience, customer uh, HR, as well as sales. And of course, um, building the brand and awareness and the culture of that organization. So I think the problem is, is it's unless you work in marketing as people don't understand really what it is. They yeah. see just kind of like what's happening, um, but not the day-to-day. They're not living and breathing in it every day. Yeah, they see what's happening. Like they see like even the, just the surface level. By the way, this, I, this may be our very first ever three-time Myth Smash start to the show. You came out here swinging. Thor's hammer's like, I'm sore. Put me down. <laughs> you said not arts and crafts and doesn't deserve a spot at the table and should only serve sales. Man, people have these misconceptions. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think a lot of it comes from n- lack of knowledge. Yeah. Um, so, ed- I mean, education and communication are so key when it comes to just understanding people. And this is beyond like uh, just a work environment. I think that's life in general. You don't know what you don't know. And so um, when it comes to marketing, it's... Um, It's kind of interesting how when you're speaking to somebody who's trying to say, let's use HR. It's a great example because that's not one that people usually think about with marketing and and HR. But when you think about, um, you know, the onboarding process of a new employee, what does that look like? Sure, they're learning about your benefits that the company is going to offer you. You're going to talk about um, your PTO time and things like that. But what about beyond that? Like they need to understand the product. They need to understand how to speak about the company. Um, and they need to know who your internal resources are when things come up. 
Um, and so beyond that there, so, and there's a whole employee brand that needs to um, exist. And that really comes from um, marketing to, to build and help and HR to execute. And so that's just one example. Um, obviously beyond HR, there's sales, which we'll talk a lot about later on, but of course, yeah. customer success. Um, no company is going to be successful if they're not retaining customers. I mean, everyone knows that the cost of acquiring um, a customer is significantly more than retaining. And if your customers are leaving because they're not getting the information that they need, their product's not working for them, they don't have information to how the product works. This all comes from that relationship between customer experience and marketing. Right. You know, interesting. A lot of the case here, it's just, you don't have the info and you've said, I, I love you brought up that, that mysterious quote of you don't know what you don't know. And I think there's another don't know in there. Do does the person know that they don't know? Cause I think that's what gets us in trouble. Is that the yeah, other many things we don't know, but are you aware of that? And when you're not, you just blindly walk forward like the onboarding. If only you covered the, if you only cover the basics and the onboarding, man, tip of the iceberg, you left off I don't know, everything else, there's right. so much more to cover. Same thing with preventing churn and customer support. It's never even just the, the initial thing. It's like the, it, not everyone's going to tell you. I mean, I just did that yesterday. I, I emailed the team. And I was like, look, I love the idea of this app and I really want it to work. Like I really do. I need it to work, but, and I need it to be simple and me not to think about it, but I'm starting to keep thinking about it with some of these things that are happening. Please help fix this. But not everyone's going to write that. Some people are just like, you're annoying me. Go away. And you, you have no idea. You won't have the info. You won't know why that turned. So there's a lot of people that don't necessarily have all this info. So coming back to it all, this misconception around marketing, people don't know what the case is. They don't have all the info. How do we fix this? How do we write this wrong, fix the ship here? I think it comes from the top down, which then goes into that second part of my three-part myth is you know, if marketing doesn't have a seat at the table, are they able to share what's important um, to the executives, which then gets trickled out to their respective teams and throughout the company as a whole? Um, there is a CMO, uh, Lotney Cotton, who has said, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, she's so, been on here. She's amazing. She's been on. Yeah, she's yeah. wonderful. So, but she, I think she's nailed it on the head when we talk about marketers as doing marketing. So ING at the end, make it the verb, make it the action of doing something versus marketers understanding the market. Mm. And that is the key, I think, to showcasing marketing's values. So of course there is an execution element. There is the, the action of getting things out there, but also the, your market evolves. Um, you may be expanding into new industries, into different you know, leveling up into enterprise, leveling down into mid-market, whatever, whoever you may be selling to, maybe you're going B2C and you were traditionally B2B, whatever. It, 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 there's a hundred different scenarios. Yeah. Um, but understanding the market um, and knowing how to adapt your strategy and execution in that way is what makes a good marketer a great marketer, I think, in my That's opinion. it right there. That's yeah. your quote. I mean, that that's a <laughs> mic drop moment. Understanding the it. market is what makes uh, whatever that what, what yeah. makes the marketer right. Like that's the it's it in the word. <laughs> that's such a great point. It's in the word, and you have to understand it. So my next challenge though is like, 
how do you do that? How do you understand and, and stay with your market, especially as it changes? Right. I mean, it's going to come down or it continues to come down to being on the forefront of your customers. So going back to customer experience, I mean, are we understanding what their day-to-day lives look like? Um, right. What's like, what's working for them? What's not working for them? And that's probably the better question to ask because sure, something's working, wonderful. We want to make sure that they're getting that value. Um, but you get better information when things don't work. Think about, think about surveys you get anytime, anywhere, you know, after ordering takeout or you know, going to the bank and you get a a notification on your app saying, you know, can you share your feedback? So if you had a great experience, the app worked as expected, you don't really, you don't really fill it out. You don't have anything like special to add. It it worked. I got what I needed. It's when things don't work. You were just on a website, you tried to buy something and it crashed and your cart is now empty and all your items are gone. Well, that's not, that's a problem. And so using that survey to like, yeah, big problem. So again, it's when things are not working that you're going to get the most information from somebody or when um, you're going to learn the most, quite frankly. And and this is going to come from your customers. Um, So neglecting them is probably the worst thing that you could do for your company, because not only are you getting that firsthand information as to what their um, needs and wants are and where the gaps are, but then you're also neglecting them um, from a, you know, from a experience perspective. And that means that someone else is talking to them just because they're talking, not talking to you doesn't mean they're not talking to anyone. Mm. And that's when your competitors are going to sweep in and try to steal that business because they're not getting what they need from you. Just because they're not talking to you doesn't mean they're not talking to someone else. Is that my second quote? <laughs> that's your second quote, man. That yeah. that's that's a scary one too. Yeah, that, I, you don't hear people saying that. You know, yeah. I, I, we kind of do feel that way though, right? If they didn't fill our survey out, well, they just don't. They, these are the kind of people that don't fill out surveys, right. or they well maybe or maybe it's just a terrible survey. Well, you that's know? that's another part of it. Yeah, right? maybe you're not listening. Maybe you yeah. gave them A, B, C, and D, and none of those were. Even remotely, I've seen that before. Like it was like a product survey, and they ask questions. Like, oh, okay, I'll fill this thing out, and they asked a question, and the answer wasn't. It was a bubble thing. I had to pick one of them, and I was like, okay, well, all your answers are wrong now because this is not how I feel at all. But that—that's right. all they've given the options was just those. So, yeah. so many misconceptions or or, or biases or, or preconceptions of what we think our customers. Mm-hmm. Want it's funny feel. you mentioned the survey. I worked for nine years in the customer experience space, and there is a science to building surveys and how you position those questions. And if you're doing like a multiple choice or like unstructured or like structured responses, um, it's very hard to not make those responses biased to your company. Oh, I like bet. You, if you want to get the right information, you don't want to just give them the options that you want. It's not what you want to hear. It's what you need to know. How do you, do you have a quick fix for that? Your decade worth of, uh, I, I mean, again, uh, or, you kind of have to like, yeah. you have to turn off your, your emotional hat when it comes to that and think of it from your responders point of view. Um, again, it's really like you, you try to create those surveys based on what information do you really want to learn? Not what do you want to hear? Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's almost like you have to act 
like it's your first day at the company and you really have no idea and you're not bought into whatever the Kool-Aid they're pouring just yet. So you're just kind of open ended. Like, what do you like about this thing? I'm genuinely curious. You're not saying you like that feature, don't you? You know, yeah, and I found exactly. that if I hang out with the wrong, wrong department or with one department too much, I'm going to get their bias. You know, product mm-hmm. loves this feature because yeah. it was hard to build and they, and it seems like it works like amazing. And maybe the customer doesn't really care about that. Maybe it's some other thing, but if you, if you're hanging out with too many of the wrong people in that company and it makes it hard for you to be unbiased when you're asking those questions, crazy. And that actually pertains into going back to marketing and sales that pertains to those two groups more often than you think. Mm. I mean, how many times I'm sure all of your guests have said this at one point or, or another, uh, how many times have you heard people talk about silos? I mean, yeah. if, you know, it's, oh, this individual is really hard to work with. So I'm just going to not work with them anymore. And I'm just going to do what I want to do and let them do what they want to do. Well, yeah. What, what's that going to solve? I think again, yeah. it's having those hard conversations that get you past the, the hump from where you are to where you want to be. Yeah. You, you, you can't, you can't avoid those. It only gets worse. <laughs> Yeah, avoiding those conversations. And and I also love that you mentioned that you tend to learn more from when things aren't working well. I remember talking to a, there's a company up in Canada, PEO Canada, they help you have Canadian employees. And they would always have these monthly check in calls. And I would always cancel and just be like, guys, seriously, (laughs) you guys just work. So yeah, maybe this is now sponsored by PEO Canada. Uh, What's up, guys, you can you can pay me in maple syrup. It's all good. Um, and they just worked. I didn't have to. And so it was like, I don't need a call with you guys. It just keep being this. Compl- I don't need the hand holding with other people. I was like, okay, we got to get on a call because this is not working. But with those guys, we're just like, yeah, not working. But they're not getting very much feedback in, from me in that situation. Um, right. Crazy. And so we've got these silos we're fighting. We've got this information we're trying to get. Uh, and what does it all boil down to? Where do you focus your, your laser beam of attention? I mean, obviously right now it's, it's demand and and ABM. So um, pipeline and awareness are, are, are key areas um, at a primo. Um, We're, we're tackling the damn space, uh, digital asset management, which is, which is a really incredible space to be at the moment. Um, You You get to call it the damn space. Yeah. I mean, that digital asset management, damn for sure. Someone was having fun. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, you have to, I mean, who doesn't love a good pun? And I guess, I guess if you're working in IT in the damn space, you're a member of the damn it unit, you know? The what unit? Damn it. Oh, yes. You know? Oh, I get it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. I'm here all day. Cha-ching. Um, yeah. Okay. So you're in the, in that space, by the way, you can do demand and ABM. Do those fight each other? Do you fight you each don't. side of your yourself doing that or um, no? So not necessarily. And I don't want to jump ahead because this is one of the things I'm going oh, to talk about further oh, what, totally. um, that I'm excited about. But, yes, yes. Uh, but no, just to answer your question, no, they don't fight each other because they essentially have two separate purposes. But when done properly, I think they're uh, they're actually very complementary of each other. So the reason I say that is because um, you know demand is again building that awareness. It's that automating of the you know of your inbound. So if you're putting information out into the world that is relevant to your audience, they're going to come to you to educate themselves right. and, and digest that information and that content. Um, ABM is 
happening in conjunction with that. Got it. Okay. I think I interrupted you. You were talking about the the fo- the focus you were going in in the in the damn arena. The damn arena, yes. Um, oh, so I'm saying it's just an exciting time because yeah. I mean, repurposing and reusing content is so important and having a workflow that allows marketing teams to work efficiently. Um, I mean, I've, I know that I have been in many situations where I'm trying to dig up a PDF that exists yeah. Yeah, in totally. one of 15 places. Is it on my website? Is it on our internet? Is it on someone's hard drive? I have no idea. And is that the latest version? I hope so. Cause this is the one I'm going to use. I don't know. It's, yeah. you know, version 300 B dot five. I don't know. Yeah. It, so. And normally it's, it's the opposite, the extremes, right? It's either there's 14 places it could be. And it's like not in any of those right. or it's in all 14 and they're all different versions. <laughs> so I, I see why that space is important because otherwise you just go crazy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, um, digital asset management allows teams to work significantly more efficiently, always knowing which version is the most uh, accurate, is the most recent. Um, And then there's a whole wonderful component around branding. So if you're, Mm. especially as you're going through a brand, um, a relaunch of a brand, um, you know, making sure that you're using the new guidebook, any, you know, anything along those lines. Uh, but even if you're not going through a relaunch, ensuring that you're using your most up-to-date imagery, icons, fonts, et cetera, um, and having a damn solution just allows you to do that in a very, very seamless way. God, coolest, coolest, having a damn solution. Just get, you know what, let's make that, uh, we need to somehow work that into the title, you know, of okay. the episode. Yeah. It's, a, it's a damn great episode <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, crazy so there's all these things that are going around um do you do you see events playing a role again and and are there any events you're excited for or are we still virtual these days like i'm confused yeah um i think for next year 2022 i wouldn't be surprised to see more in person but i do imagine that a hybrid model is still gonna happen um me personally i'm excited about some in-person events. Um, and I know things change very me constantly too. just me because, too. I mean, I think if you asked me two weeks ago, I would have been like hundred percent, we're going back in person, but then unfortunately with this new variant things, things change. So yeah, never say hundred percent to anything because it changes at a moment's notice. I know it, but you have to imagine that they'll, they'll keep being variants. It's not like it's going to stop. So then what do you, how do you, what do you plan for? And it kind of makes it risky. I was talking to a friend who's in event planning and he's trying to make events and it changes all the time where he may need to cancel on these restaurants or meeting spaces or convention halls. And so he's not really sure what's going on. So he's sort of planning more hybrid events, but what, which in-person events are you looking forward to? Because I'm dying to get into some of those. And I've been kind of stuck in this Salesforce ecosystem for a while and I'm trying to branch out and try out some new events. Yeah. Um, so marketing profs, uh, B2B summit, um, is a, is one that I'm really excited about. Actually it's early. uh, No, it's in the spring. Actually, I was going to say it might be in the, um, in the, in Q1, but no, it's in the winter in Vegas or something. No, (laughs) where, Um, where is it this time? I think they're going to have one in Boston, um, in the summer. Uh, they do have a virtual, they're also going to have a virtual one in the spring. Um, I think in March or April, 
Um, and then late, sorry, I have something in my eye. Um, oh, yeah, and then no late, late summer or early fall, they're going to have one in Boston. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Are you going to go to that one? I would like to. Yes. That's cool. I'll probably go because I'll just be able to drive 40 minutes south. Oh, that's um, easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, it still doesn't get me to Vegas, but uh, but it's. You have to head west it, for that one. But, you know, I get to see people. And that's really what I've been missing yeah. during the whole COVID thing is just like, hi, we're people again. And and not necessarily on Zoom, not that this Zoom is a problem, but just, you know, after a day of it, um, it could be kind of like, let's get in person. Let's cheers some drinks at some open bar that some damn sponsor put up, you know, that kind of thing. And one I'm super excited about Ooh, um, tell. is Six Senses Breakthrough Conference, which is actually next week in Austin. Um, it was the last marketing conference I went to before the whole world shut down in that one was in December of 2019. Um, and I'm really excited to get back into it, to, to go back to that one. Oh, and man, I just remember man. walking away from that conference. Uh, it was in Napa at the time. Um, just walking away. Yeah, that, that was a nice plot. Yeah, um, walking away saying that I have learned more in the last two days at that particular conference than I have probably that entire year from all these other events. It's Jeez. pretty incredible. So I'm excited to, uh, to go back and learn more this year. Yeah. And so you're saying that's coming up next week. So maybe even by the time the show airs, it'll be going on right now and you'll be having a great time. And where'd you say it was going to be at? Austin. Austin. Oh, are they based in Austin? No, I think technically they're based out of San Francisco. Oh, okay. Okay. But out of Austin, that's, so that might be one to put on the list for 2022 then. Absolutely. Sounds like, like definitely put that one on, on the list. Okay. Yeah. They've just, I've been really impressed with Sixth Sense. I mean, obviously I've, I've chatted with Latney and, and a few other people actually from the team, um, but something about them, they're just really kicking some ass. Agreed. Yeah. They're, I've, I've been working with them since 2016 at this point. Um, and every time I have a conversation, I'm just amazed with how much they care, like, and it's not forced caring. It's they like genuinely care. Um, again, going back to input, like they really have, um, their roadmap, their product roadmap basically comes straight out of their customers' recommendations and asks. So like just going back to collecting feedback, like those are the kinds of things that form a company. Um, and they've been making some really strategic and smart um, acquisitions in my, um, in my, you know, from my point of view. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to continue that relationship and, and see where their company goes. They're it's a fun one to watch. You've been a customer for a while then? Yes. I am a customer now. And then I was at a Primo and then I was also a customer at my previous company. Gotcha. You know, every time I end up chatting about them, I can't help it, but it ends up being like, a, like this show is sponsored by six cents, but like when, it, when they're good, you just can't help, but you know, talk about, it. but everyone that's talked about it has always said that. Like I have never had a conversation uh, on the air or off the air where someone's like, yeah, let me tell you about these guys. Like I've never, it's crazy. So I could see how an event from these, these guys would be just as powerful, man. Customer advocacy, I'm telling you, I mean, yeah. they talk about free marketing and advertising. I mean, they, they're right? they such a strong customer base who just always, everyone is always just talking so highly about them Seriously. that there you go. Like this, that's, that's the way to operate. 
I know, right? They get so many customer success story clips from this show. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell them where to, to mail the check, but it, it's great. It. When you get good tools, you get good tools. And no, they're not sponsoring the show, people. I'm not being a shill for six cents, but they're just, they're a good tool. Um, so, okay. So, their event's coming up. Anything else in 2022? 2022. Um, That's going to be a good one, huh? That's going to yeah. be hard to say. Um, the last one I'm super excited about, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not sure if they're going in person or virtual or hybrid next year, but it's just always a wonderful conference is Forrester's B2B Summit. It used to be Serious Decisions. Um, and now, you know, with the acquisition of uh, Serious Decisions by Forrester, they've, they've renamed it. Yeah. Forrester's on the move, huh? They are. Gobbling yeah. up I mean, how do you gobble up serious decisions? That's crazy. That was a surprising one because on paper, I was like, I assumed they would be serious decisions is actually bigger, bigger. or at least the same size, but guess not. Guess it, not. It, it worked out for them. Now they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now they're way bigger on paper. That's crazy. Um, okay, awesome. These are great events. I appreciate you kind of uh, sharing that with me. I can't wait to you know, add some of these to the calendar and definitely let me know how it goes next week. I'm sure it'll just be a blast. Absolutely. So how about you? Do you have any events planned for next year that are on your radar? You know, the only thing I've got figured out is climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> That's about it. Very. And then, and then, but yeah, marketing events. No. So like I'm literally an open book, so I'm going to check out the Forrester one, um, see when the next six cents one is and yeah, marketing profs. And then, you know, pretty much anything that, you know, Sangram puts out, flip my funnel, those kind of guys mm -hmm. check those out as well. So yeah. Yeah. I'm an open, open book. Awesome. Empty pages right now. So you know, check it out. Um, sweet, sweet. Speaking of open book, wow, killer segue. Um, are there any books that you've read recently or, or ones that you recommend a lot? Yes. So I have one that's very timely, actually. Um, so Bad Blood by John um Carrie Rue, I think is his last name. He's the, the Wall Street Journal journalist who essentially um, found out and investigated this whole Theranos situation oh, and then wrote wow. the book. Yeah. And it's kind of incredible because now, so for anyone who's not familiar with Theranos, they are this or was a startup out of Silicon Valley founded by Elizabeth Holmes. And it was, um, she has like a business, but also like a medical background. And she built a whole company, Theranos, around this medical device for blood tests. Um, and it was, you were able to, or she claimed you were able to run like significant amount of like diagnostic blood exams from one tiny drop versus like having to take like vials of blood like you would in a traditional blood test. Yeah. And so she um, frauded all of her investors, um, the pharma companies, the medical device companies, and it became a whole big thing. And talk. And the reason I'm saying it's so timely on so many levels: one, the trial is actually go like has now started up has again. It started. It, yeah, and she's now doing her testimony at the moment. Whoa! Started this week. Yeah, um, and it's crazy to read and watch um it's elizabeth well, holmes is that mm -hmm, that's yeah. her name yeah yeah and, and she was very i mean i don't i actually haven't seen pictures so i don't know if she's still in her like black turtleneck oh but she she yeah. very much follows that steve jobs um yeah 
outfit. Um, she like tried to, she, it was very evident that she was trying to um, like replicate a lot of his quirks and, um, you know, genius, trying to follow a genius. And I don't take that away from her. Like she is a very smart woman, but the fact that she just defrauded everybody because this, this uh, device never actually worked. And so when patients were sending in their blood to get tested in her device, she was using devices that were already on the market. Um, and so, so and, crazy. and it's this gentleman, John from the Wall Street Journal, who found out all about this and through um, informants and information from employees and ex-employees, which then goes into the other part that's very interesting is this company is, I mean, calling them toxic culture is like putting it lightly. Yeah. Um, it was like people, like employees were literally threatened, not just even legally threatened, like, like their lives were threatened if um, they had missed, if they had spoken about what was happening behind closed doors out to a friend or a family member. Um, if I'm remembering somebody correctly, um, I think somebody's parents, one of the employee's parents actually had to hide him because really? Elizabeth's like co-founder or like one of the guys that um, I think it was also her, her boyfriend at the time. Sonny, that Sonny, Sonny guy? Yes. Yeah. Was like sending people out to like beat, beat up employees because oh, they were talking to um, the media. It was, it's a wild book and I, I highly recommend it. That, so you, you finished it? Yes. Oh, I, I read it a while ago. I, yes. Oh, that's awesome. I'm totally gonna check it out. Um, I just finished a podcast that has me like all jazzed. Of, like I can't, I can't get enough of stuff on this topic. Um, it's called The Dropout. I don't know if you've heard it. No, I'm not familiar with that one. I'm it might be just a, a, a sliver of what you got from the book, but The Dropout is a podcast all about that story, but they only had maybe four or five episodes, really good ones. Um, but it, that's why that Carrie Rue like stuck in my head of like, oh yeah, that's right. I've heard that name, but man, to hear his whole book. Yeah. Because they threatened him, right? They're like, oh, don't oh, publish yeah. or we're yeah. going to sue the pants off of you in the wall street journal. Yeah. You know, and he's like, hmm, it, it, what's funny is after he got that threatening meeting with these like high priced attorneys, um, super, super scary attorneys. He was like, oh, I must be onto something. <laughs> that was exactly. his reaction. <laughs> yeah. And I think he got like a cease and desist, like letter at the Wall Street Journal. And he literally took it into his editor's office and he's like, I'm not going to stop this. And, and I think it was his editor who's like, no, you definitely need to dig further. Yeah. And, keep going. And it's a good thing they did. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's so crazy because I, I remember originally seeing her and that look was just, it was like, stunning but at the same time weird and you're right the steve jobs with the black turtleneck mm -hmm. and apparently she would talk in this deep voice too yes yes um i don't know why but did and but she got so many famous people heads of state and all these people to like yeah. donate millions and billions of dollars and she was a stanford dropout who had like a half a semester of biology right. classes and somehow gonna figure something out that nobody else had figured out. It's, it's so wild. Yeah. I mean, she was very, she was clearly very charismatic. So she was able to yes. have, she was able to have the right conversations with the right people. And I know to, um, as a starting point, um, like her initial investor came from a family friend. So like, I think her dad or mom had a dinner party with some you know, some high-end people. And gotcha. she talked about this and they were like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll back you. 
And that's kind of what got the, the ball rolling for her. Yeah. Like a, like a Domino's or something. You had one notable person say yes. And you got more and they more and more and more, but they had like Henry Kissinger or someone, they had all these like famous people. And, but, but apparently not a single person on the board knew anything about medical labs or testing or anything biology related. So they're all like, Oh, this is going to change the world. She's so nice. She wouldn't possibly lie to me. Right, and exactly. yeah, she, I guess she probably did. Oh yeah. Oh, maybe There's we'll get a cease and desist, but oh, they're not, they're not a company anymore. So we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So I'm curious though. I, I, I love the idea of talking about this topic. Uh, but as you really think about it, are there any takeaways from that? Like, are there any lessons you can learn from that whole experience? You know, if you really look back, I mean, it's so interesting to look at and think about, but what, what are the sort of the warnings that come from it? Do you think? I think listening to your gut is probably a really, really good one. I mean, mm. so many of the ex-employees that were interviewed for the book talked about all of the red flags that they saw from like day one. Um, basically, there were, uh, there were specific walking routes within the office that you were allowed to take and some that were closed off because they were too close to the lab and only people in the lab were allowed to... Um, were allowed to enter the lab or go near that vicinity. Um, and it's funny because when I, like, it's funny because yeah. on LinkedIn, I'm sure you see all of these people who have been, um, you know, because now this is like becoming a little bit of a trend where people say like, we'll write like a little red flag for a company or a job description or something. And they'll have like the emojis of the red flags, but, and it's kind no, of, what is that? Now. I haven't heard of that. Oh, so on like Twitter and LinkedIn, there's a whole, you know, everyone's posting things that appear that are like very common. Um, so in a job description, for example, um, if a job is described as fast paced, like that's a red flag because it just means, you know, behind the, uh, you know, under the surface, it just means that you're going to be Got overworked it. and, um, you know, there's actually yeah, code no word. Like, plan or strategy. <laughs> it's like a code Got word. It. Um, so, you know, things like that, but that's like in a joking way. Um, I mean, I think there's a little bit of truth to it, but, yeah. to, but in a real situation, something especially as um, extreme as this one, um, I think it was there, it was those employees like hope that they were wrong. Um, and so ultimately, you know, everyone kind of stuck it out. Also, as part of their onboarding, they were required to sign this extensive, like 50 page, very heavy legal jargon NDA. And wow. there was like financial um, retributions if they were to break the NDA um, and like legal action could be taken against them. I mean, I know there are a lot of industries that are very regulated, but again, something like that, and then not being allowed to have a lawyer look at it is a red flag. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, lawyers were not allowed to look at it. Like you couldn't take it to like your, like your personal what? lawyer or something. Oh, right. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. I think, I think probably the problem here was there was maybe not even red flags. They were like orange and like pastel yellow yeah. orange. Yeah. Like yeah. that seems weird, but you know, like that agreement, man, that seems longer than the CIA. Like why? Right. <laughs> but then, no, you can't let someone, anyone, even like an employment agreement, you always say like, hey, 
go bring this to someone if you want or read it, read it thoroughly, read it carefully. I need to have someone look at this. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. No, no, no. You can't have anyone look at it. Uh, What is that? Ah, It's like all the worst culty things that you could possibly imagine put in this one company. It's terrible and exciting at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, this is why I said calling it toxic is just, that's the nice way to to define it. Yeah. And it, it also shows that anyone susceptible to this because she recorded recruited like top apple people who designed mm-hmm. the iphone to right. come design her box of blood <laughs> and yeah. and they were like this is weird but i mean so it it's like anyone could sort of fall for that 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 trap you're like oh we're gonna change the world so i guess we're gonna sign some weird paperwork but right exactly. maybe not maybe those flags add up after a while They do. And I mean, putting it into a situation that's a little bit more likely, like even if you're, especially now the great resignation, a lot of people are leaving their current roles, going to new companies. I mean, if you're getting um, an offer letter, for example, and someone is saying like, you have to sign it like right now, like you can't even, um, you know, take a night or a couple of days to just think about it. That's a red flag. Like that's problematic. You, You need to be comfortable with your decisions when it comes to your career, quite frankly, because it not only affects your career personally, it affects your livelihood. And you need to be, you need to know what you're getting into and comfortable with that decision. 100%. If it sounds like they're trying to sell you a set of knives or something, then it's also the the expiration date on a, okay, this job interview or this job offer will expire at midnight on on third. Uh, Now you should understand that if you, delay on this thing and don't sign it after a while they're going to be like move on we're not feeling this vibe of you not caring Mm -hmm. but at the same time you can't you know strong arm someone into rushing through it it's important they got to read it all absolutely yeah it's certainly not going to self-destruct at a certain point (laughs) right it's like special pdf ink that like just races off the page at (laughs) midnight because you didn't sign it no my opportunity right Uh, Man, that's crazy. Well, uh, so much fun stuff. I, and this is the present and the now. I'd love to talk about the future real quick. Are there things coming around the corner that, that you're excited about? Some stuff you can see that maybe we, we can't yet see, but that you're really excited to maybe implement or try? Absolutely. Um, so I would say, because you were, you were asking me earlier about yeah. ABM versus demand gen. So I'm actually really excited about the evolution of ABM um, into ABX, so account-based experiences. We've talked so much about customers on this um, episode, but I'm going to go back to this a little bit more, but really going through this whole account-based experience, um, taking that customer-centric approach with your go-to market. Um, And like for that evolution, it's it's still account-based, but the difference is using all of the information that you have from your prospects, from your customers, from um, industry experts, and feeding them and feeding information to people in those areas across the different, like their journey. So what that means is everyone digests information differently on different channels in different ways. Some people like to read, some people like to watch videos. um, Some people like to learn by doing. And there's, there's so many other ways. And so like listening to podcasts, listening to podcasts. Exactly. <laughs> um, like, cause it gets the creative juices going. Like oh, I know yeah. for me, like, I know I have a hundred ideas, but then if I don't write them down in that one minute, I'm they're in one ear out the other. Like I'm going to forget them. 
which is why I love listening to podcasts and and like going to conferences and stuff, because not only are you learning from the speakers, it makes you think of other ideas, even like expanding on what you already have or expanding on what you're already doing or going from level six to level eight, just by executing X, you know? And so um, just taking that and, 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 and doing it quite frankly. So yeah. providing um, your prospects and customers that, that level of an, of a, of an experience across different areas. Um, so be where they are, like, hang, like be where your audience is. Um, if they're not on your website, that's okay. It doesn't mean that they don't care about you, but they may be looking for a third party resource to validate what they're trying to learn. Um, and so making sure that you're, that you're giving them that information through that third-party resource, for example. Yeah, be where they are. And my thought also was like, and, and be talking to who they trust. You know, it, exactly. it's so many exactly. people, oh, it's the website. Is it? Is it the website? Yeah. A lot of times people trying to sell you a website app are going to tell you it's the website. And don't neglect it, but that's not necessarily where they're at until it's the final part or a certain part of the journey. That, that journey has many thousands of places to touch and and you're probably a little bit of it. So be out there. I love that idea. And, and I think you're right about the idea of the podcast and conferences, sometimes just being in the room or, or having, you know, certainly like this podcast in your ear, you're listening to us. We're riffing on bad blood and, and cool things, but also some marketing and some tidbits, but maybe something completely that we're not even talking about comes to mind, but it's almost like you're in the room you know, you're in like a mini conference, the hardcore marketing conference, and you just heard this thing and, and it almost, almost like being in the shower, you know, where it's just like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. you're kind of just zoning out a little bit, listen to a cool conversation. And then that thing hits and then you can take your marketing to the next level. Yeah. Someone needs to invent like a shower whiteboard. <laughs> just, to, I'm sure they exist, but I'm wondering if they yeah. exist now that I think about it, I might have to Google that after this. I think we're um, totally going to Google that after just put it in your shower. When you get, you know, when that to-do list starts running through your head or when those great ideas start coming through, start writing them down. Yeah, I, I actually am totally. embarrassed to admit that I'm pretty sure I've started many conversations with colleagues with, so I had this idea in the shower. <laughs> you know, what do it, you think? Yeah. You're like, uh, should I tell you? Yeah. I'll just tell you. Yeah. yeah, I think it's because you're not thinking on the actual issue. You're just sort of like letting your mind just process what it needs to, and it knows better. And and um, by the way, why wait? I Googled it, and yeah, Amazon's like, yeah, we've got shower thought boards, thought awesome. boards, twenty four ninety nine on Prime. There it is. There it is. I might, <laughs> that's going to get added to my cart in about ten minutes. <laughs> I think the pen is important too, because you want it to yes. not wash off, but somehow be able to erase it. So that's the magic, yeah. I think, of the whole situation. Can you imagine if the, if that pen just worked on your shower wall too? And you were just, you went crazy like an inventor and you were just drawing all these <laughs> schematics and everyone that looked in your shower was like, what is going on in here? And you're like, yeah. creativity, man, this is what I do. Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just thinking the next person goes in to take a shower and it's like a beautiful mind. Have you ever seen that movie where yeah, it's like, exactly. like the serial killer um, strings that are connected? Yeah, you have yarn the in the shower yeah. dripping yeah. and it's this over here to that over there. <laughs> uh, that's when they call someone for you and they're like, oh, absolutely. You need some help. Uh, but tell me about this AB, ABX thing, because I, I think we were on the right track with the ABM, but sometimes in my thoughts, the ABM was like, oh, we have a cool idea of ABM, but in the end, we're just going to cold call these people. Right. We're going to do accounts, but then we're just going to cold call them. Like it, it was almost like a shell game where we were thinking the right direction, but when it came down to the application of it, we didn't really have an application. We just 
okay, we'll have sales call these people. It would seem flat to me. It wasn't that full experience. Yeah. So when I think when it comes to uh, maybe the, the shortfall of ABM is because it became so common and such a hot buzzword, it was like, we have to do it. But if you are just like anything, if you're jumping into it without really understanding the, um, like what it, what it really is and understanding the like traits that go into it, it just becomes a shell of something. So to your example of cold calling. Yeah. I mean, it ultimately, if you're, if you're just called calling into an account, because now that's what you think ABM is, that's not ABM. That's no, you pick it, you're picking an account and you're called calling. So, right. Yeah. So it, it's just then the evolution of a key target account, basically, is what, is what that is. Yeah. Um, but no, with ABX, it's really taking different, um, a different approach with each account based on how involved and strategic that account is for you. And so what I mean by that is how much information do we have on them? Um, so if, like a current customer expansion opportunity versus a prospect account would be two different levels because you obviously have a relationship with that customer, or I would hope you do. And so you have a, you know, months, years, whatever it may be, however long that relationship has been of information that you should be using as part of your outreach. And so that would be very different than an account that you're um, just starting out with, just trying to contact or, or connect with for the first time where you're going into um, you're going into it with um, information that you're finding out, whether it's on, you know, LinkedIn, um, their website, um, um, industry publications, um, any news, if they're like a public, uh, organization, you know, any news that might be happening financially or changes on the leadership side and, you know, anything that's public facing and you're taking that and you're essentially orchestrating some very tailored message to that company and not just the company, like a company doesn't answer an email. It's the individuals within that company. So in addition to finding out about what's happening within that organization, it's finding out who, like, who are the right people to start with. Um, And then as that, like engagement in that campaign expands, identifying the buying committee. So it's, you know, it's no longer just one person buying something anymore or like buying a platform um, or bringing in a new vendor. It's, it's buying by committee. And so you have the person who's actually signing the contract. You have the power users and the decision maker, sorry, the power users, but you also have the decision makers. And then you have the, the influencers. They're the ones who are probably going to be your first step in the door, but not your final um um, decision maker, who's going to like really push you over the line, but that doesn't make them any less important because they're the ones who are going to introduce you to the right people. Right. And that is why that account based experience is important because those influencers. So I, I'll, I'll scale it. I'll bring it back to my company as an example. So with the Primo, you know, we are, we're selling to, um, mostly most of the time we sell to marketers as well as like creative teams. And so, with a marketer, I mean, there's of course like the C level, the, the the CMOs and the VPs, but it's going to be extremely difficult to get them engaging with you right off the bat. 
you may want the marketing operations manager first. And right. they're the ones who are really feeling the pain of what they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And you need to harness that pain and provide them with a solution that will fix their lives essentially. And that's how you get your foot in the door. And then you have the initial conversation with them and then they'll bring in the people that will move it forward. Man. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard it expressed that well. So to clarify, are you speaking next week at that conference or are you attending? (laughs) I'm not, I'm attending, um, okay. but yeah. Maybe next I mean, year, Latney, you know, yeah. she's right give here. Give her a call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should have, give, give Dina a call. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, that's what it's needed. It's needed that shift to that full experience. And, and, but man, that tailored, it's not, it's not an instant implementation, right? This is, this is on your title. It's something that you, you do over time it, and you build up muscles for it you build up the machines and the automations you build up the targeting but it's not like a it gets added in a day right yeah um and if you're saying the same thing to everybody consider consider it a failure that's not going to work at all right Um, because everyone has different priorities um, and different pain points and different challenges and you need to make sure you're providing solutions to each of those respective individuals yeah. I think the only people still, uh, well, if you're still doing the same message to everyone, you're in the same bucket as, uh, this guy in, you know, in Nigeria who came across some money from an African prince who is emailing you and your parents probably about giving him a bank account information, right? Like spammers are the ones doing this, but even they're getting smarter. So we have to, we can't just send everyone the same message because we know it doesn't resonate. It doesn't resonate with us. It's like getting the same LinkedIn message. You don't want to see that stuff. It, it just, it doesn't work. So love this. My next question is who are you, Dina? How do you know these things? Can you take me back in time to like little Dina days? Little and Dina, did sure. you always know you're going to be a marketing leader? Uh, just all about ABMX or ABX. Like take me back in time. Little you. Sure. So it's funny. I always knew I wanted to, to go into business. Like, what, let me rephrase that. I always wanted, I knew I wanted to study business in college. I just didn't know what exactly. So I actually remember playing bank, like with my sister in my dad's office. Like, do you remember those old school, like deposit slips that you had yeah. to use before everything was computerized? Like he would just have like a little stack of them, like on his desk and we'd pretend like they were checks and invoices and all this stuff. And we would like play bank and whatever. Yeah. And like that's, I have that memory of, um, uh, of like, using that as like what I, I thought I wanted to do. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go into like finance or something. And then I was very lucky in high school. um, We actually had a, a a business department within my high school. Really? Um, Yeah. And I was a member of FBLA, which is called, which stands for future business leaders of America. So I joined the business club and through that. Is that that a cool move in high school? It, it was pretty cool. Was it I, cool? Like, I felt very grown up, honestly, because, you know, as a, as a teenager, you're like, I can't wait to be an adult. Like I'm going to, it's going to be so cool. So it did feel very grown That's up. That's amazing. Like, I mean, yeah, that kind of a, to have it be a, a cool club, but even to have it attract people, man, like that's the real stuff. It's not even the college stuff. It's like, it's those lessons go sell a candy bar. It's that kind of stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Um, and it was through that club that I actually met some of the other business teachers um, at my, in my, you know, from my high school. And I, in my senior year of high school, I took a marketing class and it was so fun. I loved it. And that's when I knew I was like, all right, I'm going, I'm going to study marketing in college. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. so cool. Cause sometimes we were like, have no idea going to college, but you were like, nope, this, this is it. I mean, I can study this all the time. I mean, other than those silly core classes, I can just focus on this topic. Let me in. Oh man. What a cool, you, you kind of had your target. You had your, your account you were going to go after from a very early age. That's great. Yeah. But talk about myths to bust. Um, that was such a disappointing thing. Like when I did start college that I realized, oh, I actually don't get to take any of my major classes until like second semester of your freshman year. Cause you have to take all those like silly kind electives. of a bait and switch a little bit, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? It really yeah. is a bait and switch. I hated them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you still don't need to ever use Avogadro's number to convert, <laughs> you know, no. moles to, uh, to atoms or whatever the hell it is. Uh, but Hey, now we know uh, they should have sprinkled that in a little bit more. They, yeah. they could have done that, but I mean, kind of help you figure it out early on, especially if, you had signed up for accounting instead of marketing, that it was right. time for you. How did you get your start? You know, you get, you get that brand new degree and then you're like marketing, let's yeah. go. So again, when I graduated, I thought I was like, well, I, I have to work for a really cool big company because you know, that's what they show you on TV. You know, you right. have to work yeah. for like the fun fashion, you know, companies or, um, you know, the, the media agencies. So I applied to companies at like NBC and Showtime and HBO. And I'm pretty sure I also applied to like Ralph Lauren and L'Oreal and, you know, all these really cool. And I was living in New York at the time. Yeah. So like, like on friends, really right? Cool like why companies not? That, yeah. And I was getting <laughs> nothing um, sure. because they're enormous and it's basically you're right out of college with no experience, except for like the interns, internships that I did. Um, and so um, I just got lucky with a, like a medium sized, um, accounting firm. I, basically after a while I had to like expand my, yeah. my applications into other companies. <laughs> and so I ended up starting my career at a company called Mark's Panic, which is a mid-sized New York based accounting firm. And, you know, I was like, this is not the industry that I really imagined myself working in, but I will say it, it's what started to teach me about B2B which is extremely different than B2C. And so, which is funny because when I did start applying for jobs, it was, they were all like B2C companies. Um, and so I, I, as much as I joke about not wanting to be in accounting, um, I actually thank them because it was my stepping stone into B2B marketing. Right. Um, I did work for uh, Starboard Hotels for a little bit after that, which was back to B2C. But again, that was a wake-up call because they were such a big company um, that you do the same, like with big companies, nothing against them, but be prepared to do the same thing every day because yeah. everybody has their responsibilities. And right. I, that's not at that time. I mean, I was still only like a few years out of college. Like I, I didn't know that. And I had like, I was like, no, I want to try this and I want to do this and I want to be exposed to this. And they're like, no, no, no. Like we would have people who do this. And so I realized that that's not the kind of yeah. mindset that the big brand is not necessarily the opportunity. Right. Exactly. And, and each person is different. So there's nothing True. against that. It's just, it didn't fall into my uh, way of working because I felt like I would, I got bored very quickly when I just right. was doing the same thing. You got stability, um, but you also yeah. don't get a chance to try much, you right. know, at all. Yeah. 
Exactly. Um, so, yeah. um, so that, that basically got me like, again, another, it was another stepping stone in the, the career pond. So it helped me narrow down like where I wanted to be. And then I started after them. Um, I went to a smaller um, media company, um, but ultimately it was what led me into um, SAS and yeah. man, do I love it. I, I love being in the SaaS space. Something about it. There's something magical about it. It's so hard to beginning. I mean, it's hard all the time, but man, you, you don't have any customers. You got to find that product market fit, but it's magical because you can scale like crazy. And then that's where unicorns come from is if you, if you catch a ride on a rocket, it can go places. And I think that's the, that's the scary and exciting part is that, well, at least for me is that you can see your work, not only help the company, but you, who knows, like if it catches on, it could catch on. And then you got a completely different life in the future. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's constantly evolving. There's new companies popping up daily. Yeah. Um, if not every like hour minute at this point, I mean, so crazy. If you look at those, um, even if we just look at, just look at marketing tech, if we just look at those grids from like 10 years ago, or even five years ago to now, what was it? It was like, 50,000 versus like almost like 300,000 now. I mean, it's, it's just wild, but um, it's a really fun, really fun place to be. Um, and I would, and I'm glad that I, I personally found it. And so I would tell anyone that's coming out of college to not narrow or even just starting their career or making a career shift. Don't narrow your thoughts based on what you think you should be doing, but just kind of follow that natural progression. And you might be really surprised into what you find yourself in. Because if you ask me, I would have never thought I would have been in tech. Isn't that funny? It is funny. Yeah. You you think you're in something else and then you you might even give it a, a, a chance or a shot, but then you try and you're like, actually, this is really cool. Man, I love that. Don't so don't narrow your thoughts. Don't don't, you know, it's, sometimes I think we restrict ourselves more than anything. You know, I mean, yeah. a lot of people don't actually care. So they're not trying to hinder us. They just aren't maybe helping us. But sometimes we're hindering ourselves more than anything and we just have to break through that little mental barrier to say, "No, no, no. Give it a shot. See what happens." Mhm. Yeah. Absolutely. Crazy. I don't know how you managed to do all of this with the brand new baby and all, ABM and demand gen baby, which is like the, the third department, um, all these things that are happening. Like, how do you, how do you balance everything? How do you do that? I mean, I'm really lucky to be working for a company who actually cares about your personal life and that balance. Oh, awesome. Um, so that makes things significantly yes. easier. Um, and I'm, I say easier because it's not easy, but it's easy. Yeah, but shout out to a primo because like yeah. oh, not every company does that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, they they really do care about their employees. Um, and so you're not getting these crazy meetings at random times of the day or the night, I should say, or phone calls from somebody being like, we need to meet right now. Um, but um, uh, but no, yeah. So my my son is gonna be nine months in about two weeks. Um and he's, he's a wonderful little guy. He's got a lot of personality for a, a little baby. Yeah. Kids are amazing. You know, so I've got two, and we were chatting about it earlier and yep. they just totally changed the game too. For me, oh, I yeah. felt like it, it's one of those experiences hard to describe, but like 
having gone through nine months of this experience, if you were to look back, you know, if you were to tell yourself, you know, some takeaways, you know, before you you have your your son, what what kind of things, you know, you get all the advice from random strangers when you're gonna have a baby, but then you kind of learn you learn a lot that first year. So I don't know if it's a blur for you, but do you, do any kind of things stand out as like real? It, it was totally different than you thought it would be. So yes and no. So I will say I'll, I'm gonna mention two things. One is like like baby specific and another one is more like life yeah. i've become a significantly more patient person i think and i was not i used to not be patient and i'm not saying i'm incredibly patient but i'm more patient than i was <laughs> right yeah, yeah the asterisk is there it's like yeah okay anyone listening to this that we There's work together <laughs> you you know i'm not saying i'm completely patient but I, i'm more <laughs> right exactly yeah considering i had zero patience before it's an improvement <laughs> so what number is it now <laughs> I would go from zero. Maybe I'm at like four and a half out of, out 10. of a hundred or <laughs> no, I'd say like maybe out, out of, of 10. Out of 10. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they definitely teach you patience. Um, the other question was, um, advice or like things that I've learned. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I was so terrified about the lack of sleep that it's kind of un it's, it's very difficult to define it, but your body just naturally progresses and like work, like functions and your mind just naturally functions when you're, when you're not sleeping because of a baby. I mean, it's totally different with other like insomnia or dealing with like other battles, Sure, sure. but you kind of just adapt. Um, and it's not that you're not sleeping entirely. It's just interrupted sleep. And I think yeah. that's where the misconception is. It's like people were like, you're going to be exhausted. You're not going to sleep for 18 years. And I'm like, my, luckily I'm going to knock on wood here. Like my son started sleeping through the night, like at two and a half months old. So does he do it every single night? No, there are some nights that's it's interrupted, but, um, but like, but you manage. Um, and I think that part of it was, I thought it was like an all or nothing versus there's actually kind of a, a mix there. Yeah. Yeah. I love you highlight that. And I think that kind of ties into, you know, the advice you know I tend to give is just like, whatever the horror stories that, you know, Aunt Zelda is telling you, you'll be fine. It's like, yeah, yeah there's these weird sleepy things, but you got what it takes and you'll be fine. You'll get through it. And, and it actually is amazing. And you won't remember how you got through it. <laughs> You're like, you well, how did, just, how did we do that? Yeah, yeah, you just did. You just made it happen. Um, but an amazing example, amazing story too. So if people want to reach out to you and connect with you professionally, you know, network with you or learn more about a primo, throw out some links, social platforms, all that jazz. Yes. You can certainly find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, as do you want the actual like URL or just, Oh, just no. LinkedIn's fine, but yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Twitter and then you can also email me at dina.otero at a primo.com. All right. Throwing the email address out there. Yeah, I love it. Why not? So I'm daring. To connect with people. So daring. I love that. But yeah, do email her, right? She yeah. puts her email address out there. Say hi, you know, and, and share that you, you really you know, appreciated her, her man. There's so, there's so much that we, we talked about together we today. Did. So it's, it's uh, really unbelievable. So thank you so much for just taking some time out of your day and, and just schooling me on all sorts of really cool topics. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It was, it was a lot of fun.
yeah, it wasn't it. And that's how it should be. We should be it's marketing strategy, fun, and just learning and sharing and that kind of thing. And so for those people listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes front and back over here, right? Uh, and I always hold those up. If you're curious, you go to YouTube and see them because I literally am taking notes and I've learned so much. And if you all did too, then share this episode with someone else. And, and that's how you're a thought leader. That's literally how you're a thought leader is to share it with one person 38 people, 29,000, whatever. But like, that's, that's how you, you share real good vibes. And, and that's how we get out of the ABM into the ABX. That's how we, that's any future parents say, give them a little encouragement, have them listen to this. There's all sorts of great nuggets on this one. So again, Dina, you're the best. I'm so glad we connected on this one. Me too. Thanks so much, Casey. Have all right, one. everyone. This, this has been such a fantastic show. I'm excited. I got to go lay down. This has been a good one. Uh, and for those of you listening, this has been another episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.